This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them, and he named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 75 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Uh, let's pray. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would uh, be with me now as uh, I preach your word, that uh, you would um, make my words clear, uh, and that, Lord, you would keep my words centered on on your gospel, on your plan of rescue um, for for people in a world uh, that is obviously not okay. Please speak to us uh, gently and kindly. Remind us who we are and help us uh, to, to more and more find uh, our identity in you and let your story, your narrative of the Bible, more and more become our narrative uh, for life. So please do this. Uh, let your Holy Spirit um, dwell with us 
uh, richly this morning. Amen. So, recently, uh, in Palo Alto, California, it's a very affluent California town, um, there has been a horrible tragedy that's been kind of striking, striking this town. Just a series of young people keep taking their lives. Um, it's horrible. They just kind of will step out in front of a train track, uh, in front of moving trains. And it's just been this continual rash uh, of, of things happening uh, in that town. And it makes us go, how could beautiful young people in the prime of their life do something like that? What in the world could cause something like that to happen? And, and that's exactly right. It, it's the world. This world that we live in is what causes things like that to happen. Bullying, self-esteem issues, financial problems, the death of loved ones. This world has us scared. It has us depressed. It has us insecure. And just and that, that list of conditions we're in just goes on and on and on. And the world that we live in today is no different from the world uh, that was during the time of, of this genealogy, right? The death of loved ones. We see time after time after time in this passage, and he died, and he died, and he died. It's the same world. You can see why Noah's father, Lamech, yearned. You yearn with him to have someone who will come and give us comfort in this uncomfortable world that we live in. And so what does this text have to say to us today about how we can find true comfort? Not just fleeting comfort, but comfort that lasts. Comfort that's substantial. So how do we find comfort in a world that is so uncomfortable? We must find our comfort in God. And so in what ways do we see here that God is our only true source of comfort. I think we see three things here. We see that he's our true source of identity. He's our true source of fellowship. And he's our true source of hope. So first, how is God our true source of identity? Well, right off the bat in our passage, we see God going to one of the most important sources of comfort for us, our identity. And wrapped up in identity, you know, are things like our value, our self-worth, our purpose, even. It's really all the things that kind of make you, you, are wrapped up in your identity. Um, and so God here is, just, is shouting through the darkness of this world to remind us who we really are. Are. And so what is our God-given identity? We see first that we are made in his likeness. And I think this is one of the most profound truths that the Christian faith has to offer us. If God is the most important, most valuable, most beautiful being that ever was, is, and, and will be, 
then guess what? That means so are we. Because we are a direct imprint of God. So that means you're important. You're valuable. You're beautiful. This is the kind of identity that we can find in God. And I think it's important, especially in this day and age, for us to realize that this is uniquely a biblical comfort. You have to go to God for this. I was uh, recently reading a National Geographic article where uh, Jerry Coyne, who is a famous geneticist, was speaking on the difference between a Christian worldview and an atheistic or secularist worldview. And here's what he says. He says, there are a number of things about evolution in science. And what he means by that is kind of, that is your worldview, that there's only this natural world um, and we can only understand it purely by um, our, our, our minds. Um, so there's, there, are a few, there are a number of things about evolution science that undermine religion. First of all, the fact that the Genesis story is wrong. He says there's no evidence that there's any qualitatively different feature about humans from other species. We're not spot special products of God's creation. And so see, the narrative that so much of this world we live in puts forth, it cannot, it will not give you the comfort you need in a world that is so desperately uncomfortable. Think about this, when you blow it at work, you mess up a report, you let your boss down, whatever it may be, do you really need a narrative in the back of your head telling you, you're not important. You're an accident of the universe. You're not special. No. We all know. We, no, we don't need that. Because we already have that little voice in the back of our head that's telling, us, telling that to us anyway. Right? We need something better than that. We need something truer than that. And we have that in God. Your creator has created you as a magnificently valuable person, period. Not because of what you've done or haven't done. You are valuable, period. We can take comfort in that. Secondly, we see here in our passage that part of our our identity is that God made us male and female. And now, you know, especially this week, in fact, I kind of... I almost didn't want to include this because of of how contentious the media has been this week around gender issues. And this is a complicated issue for sure, but I think God gives us a clear truth um, to navigate through these tricky waters. And more importantly for our discussion today, I think this has a lot to do with finding our comfort. So here's here's what I'm talking about. So the the simple truth is... That God created us either male or female. And that's an objective reality, right? It's not a relativistic thing that changes. You are a man or you are a woman. Okay, so William, why are you, why are you talking about this? You might be asking. What does this have to do with me finding my comfort in God? I think it has a lot. Um, I had a really good friend in college who was involved with, um, oh, 
what's called, uh, who was involved in theater and uh, specifically musical theater. And he would tell me about how in high school, one of his mentors uh, in theater spent a lot of time with, with the men involved in that, reminding them that though the world might not see what they're doing, what they're pursuing as masculine, that that doesn't change the fact that they are men and that what they're doing is very manly and very masculine. Um, And that meant a lot to him. Um, And I think God is saying to us a very similar thing. Um, Some of you might understand this. If you've been deeply scarred by someone who's made you feel inadequate, and not just like normal inadequate, but inadequate as a man or inadequate as a woman, you know that there's nothing worse than being made to feel like that. Because again, it strikes at the very heart of who you are as a person. And so God's saying here, it doesn't matter what the culture around you has decided to call masculine or decided to call feminine. If you're into, fa- if you're a man and you're into fashion, you're into uh, theater, anything like that, you are the definition of masculine, and nobody can take that away from you because that is what God has called you. Women, it does not matter what you look like or what you're pursuing in life. You are the definition of womanly because that is what God has called you. All right. And lastly, we see here in identity that God says that we are blessed. And what this means is that even though each and every one of us has been hit by uh, the fall like a ton of bricks, we still have not lost our purpose. We're actually tapped into an infinite source of purpose. And this blessing uh, talked about here is uh, going back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. God says that he blessed them, Adam and Eve, and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. So in other words, from the very get-go, God has given his people a very special purpose for being on this planet. And, and to kind of put all that in a nutshell, what God's saying is he wants us to cultivate here on this earth, heaven. He wants us to bring the kingdom of heaven down to earth. So you're here for a very special reason. So I ask you, do you ever find your work mundane, unimportant? I mean, I, I know you, you know, you stay at home moms with, with many kids. And I know a lot of y'all do have many kids. I know that it can be pretty easy to think just, you know, okay, one more day of doing dishes, washing clothes, you know, cleaning babies, cleaning diapers, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. It can probably get pretty old. And I'm sure that you can feel, um, feel unimportant or like your life is mundane. But I want you to know this morning that what you are doing is bringing order to a chaotic world. 
right? That's what you're doing. So that your family could be clothed, fed, clean. Is this not a glimpse of heaven come to earth? Is this not the kind of work that Jesus does? And so I tell you, your work is not mundane. Your work is exceedingly royal. That's what your work is. So we can find our identity in God and we can find much comfort there. So how else is God our true source of comfort? By being our true source of fellowship. We go to many different things for comfort, friends, family, people that we have close fellowship with. And that's wonderful. That's great. Um, What we have here in verse 24, we're kind of, the question is being begged, why not find your comfort primarily in the fellowship of God? What could that look like? We see here in the case of the man Enoch. This is a man who walked with God. Um, And what that means is that his life is characterized by this by overarching fellowship with God. And so in the midst of an uncomfortable world, he talked to God, he did what God wanted him to do to the best of his sinful ability, he sought God, he was friends with God. And then we're told, this is one of those amazing, kind of baffling cases within the Bible, he just disappeared. Because God took him, it says. And so this is really strange at, at first, I think. But the Bible is illustrating for us a profound truth with the, the hyperbole of the case of Enoch. So just kind of imagine with me a second the life of Enoch. He walked with God. He talked with God. He lived his life in the context of friendship with God. But you know, Enoch, like we said, lived in the same kind of world that we live in today. You know, bad things would happen to him. Loved ones passed away. Work was incredibly frustrating for him at times. And even his own sin would get in the way of his comfort and peace. But you know, as life continued and his fellowship with God just grew and grew and grew, those uncomfortable things that we all experience, they didn't, they didn't go away, but they just didn't steal his comfort quite as much as they used to. They just don't have the same grasp on him Anymore, And until this one miraculous day, all of a sudden, the grasp that the world had on him and his comfort, he just slipped through it and he just disappeared. But appeared into the loving, comforting embrace of God and fellowship with God. So again, this case is illustrating for us in a profound way what actually you and I can have with God. So if you need comfort from what this world is throwing at you, go to God. Pray to God. Let Him speak to you through His Word. Trust in His Gospel, in the the grace and mercy of uh, that's, that's offered to us in Christ. 
find fellowship with God. And so the more you are with God, the more you are wrapped up in his embrace, the more this world will not have its way with you. So, and I'm not saying, you know, that bad things won't happen. I'm not saying to adopt this strange pie-in-the-sky optimism or even adopt a hard callousness towards life. No, I'm not saying that. But I am saying that because God is absolutely impervious to this world, and is the resurrection of Christ not a prime example of how this world just can't touch our God, if you are in deep intimacy with a God like that, then you can have deep abiding comfort from this uncomfortable world. And so lastly, God is our true source of comfort because God is our only true source of hope. So when Lamech names Noah, he's not just doing this in a vacuum. This is directly tied to Lamech's hope in God. Because you see, right after the fall, right after uh, God is cursing the serpent, he says to the serpent that he is going to send a man. A man is going to be born from the woman, Eve, that will crush the Satan, that will crush the serpent who is Satan, and crush everything that is wrong with this world that we live in. So Lamech's hope is specifically in God's Savior, God's plan of salvation. We know what that means. It means Lamech's hope is in Jesus. Because that's the real snake crusher, if you will. Right? And so that snake crusher that is the offspring of the woman will turn out to be God himself. And so Noah here is actually just a little foretaste, just a little shadow, precursor of a truer and better comforter, a better hope. And so when we talk about hope here, what are kind of, what are the details of that that we see? Well, I think we see justice and we see transformation. So first, talking about justice, you know as well as Lamech does right here in our passage, that one of the things that makes this world just so uncomfortable is that there isn't enough justice in it. How are we supposed to find comfort in a world where it just seems like evil has an endless chain? It just has free reign. Well, if you know anything about Noah's story, what comes right after our genealogy here, you know how God deals with evil. Right? He destroys it. The flood narrative is a prime example. It's a vivid picture of what God's justice looks like unleashed on evil. And so you can take comfort in this world, even as evil seems to go unpunished, as the wrongs committed against you day in, day out go unpunished for now. In the grand scheme of eternity, that's not how it's going to be. God is just. He is good. And we will all ultimately come before justice, either in the ark of God's grace or in the floodwaters of wrath. 
And then so secondly, transformation. So along with the hope of justice, we have the hope of transformation. Lamech looks forward to a day when pain and toil are no more. A better world, a world that isn't uncomfortable anymore. So his hope is in God's promise to transform this world. And so though through Noah, God brings this judgment on evil into the world, and he starts fresh with Noah's family. But the thing is, the snake isn't crushed yet, is it? Noah is just like uh, the rest of mankind. There's sin in his heart, and this uncomfortable world continues, just continues to unfold. So Noah is pointing us to a, a better comforter, right? We see this need that we need somebody better than Noah. We need somebody better than just what mankind can offer. And this is what we have in Jesus, right? By his resurrection, Jesus stomps out the serpent. He stomps out his power. And Jesus becomes transformed in his new resurrection body. And then the work of Jesus here and now is that he is bringing all of us more and more into his transformation. All of us here that are believers indwelt by the Holy Spirit, Jesus is at work transforming you. And then one day we have this hope that everyone and everything will be pulled into this transformation. And we will have here something uncomfortable no longer, but something perfect. This world in us will be made perfect. Um, In the return of the king, uh, the last Lord of the Rings book, uh, at the end, after the ring is destroyed, there's this really neat interchange between uh, Samwise Gamgee and Gandalf. This is how it goes. Sam starts, Gandalf, I thought you were dead. But then... I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What happened to the world? Gandalf says, a great shadow has departed. And then he laughed, and the sound was like music, or like water in a parched land. And as he listened, the thought came to Sam that he had not heard laughter the pure sound of merriment for days upon days without count. And so that's our question here. Is everything going to come? Is everything sad going to come untrue? Jesus is saying, yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. And I think this truth um, forces us to ask ourselves a question. Um, if, if you tend to be where a lot of Americans, a lot of American Christians, honestly, are today, that are actually pretty comfortable in this world, comfortable with who we are, how we are, comfortable with what's going on in this world, we have to ask ourselves, why is God so concerned with the transformation of this world, but I'm not? Um, that's not good. That's not a good 
uh, differential. And so, uh, yeah, we need to ask ourselves then, are we finding our comfort in God? So again, as we think about Palo Alto and just all the other unthinkable tragedies that take place in our world over and over again, we have to realize that the reality is there is no sign of it stopping anytime soon. The same world that existed in ancient times is the world we have right here today. But in the midst of this uncomfortable world, we have a true source, an abiding source of comfort in God. He gives us identity. Right? He tells us who we are. He reminds us how special we are. We have fellowship with him. Right? He wraps his arms around us and says, I love you. We have hope in him. Where he reminds us, it's not going to be like this forever. Is everything sad going to come untrue? Yes. Yes, it is. So we must find our comfort in God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we look at um, your unfolding story of redemption, we see time in and time again that the world of Scripture is exactly like our world today. Um, We just ask that you would... um, Speak softly, speak sweetly to us in the midst of our troubles, uh, in the midst of all the things that make us sad. Everything sad is going to come untrue, and I love you. Uh, We thank you and we praise you, Lord Jesus. Amen. All right. Please sing with us.